Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper, Ronald J. Martin. Uh, boys, we've been uh, in the midst of a, a series. I think it's because you guys are men of the cloth. You know, we're we're in that uh, not a sermon series, a different kind of series. We've been talking about generations, uh, and this morning, boys, we get to talk about uh, what some have called the greatest generation, um, and it's Generation X. So we'll get to do some kind of backward looking remembrances of Generation X and all their achievements and all the great things about this amazing generation uh but first in true gen x fashion uh we got to make some money we got to pay some bills we'll be right back hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, boys, we're back. Um, Talked about millennials last time. Talked about Gen Z a couple of weeks before that. Um, This week, we're talking about Gen X, and I want to kind of frame it in a similar way as we framed the other ones in first asking what are the most sort of iconic Gen X movies and what makes them Gen X? Uh, so when you think about like movies that define our generation, big R, what, what comes to mind? Oh man, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of them, right? Um, yeah. I think of some of the more teen oriented ones like uh, breakfast club oh, yeah. and uh, you know, things that just sort of, um, Things that things that just sort of introduced um, what it was that kids were facing based on the way that they'd been raised, and then how mm-hmm. culture, like you know, music, movies, all of those things, kind of informed their life, you know, at, at, you know, in that in that time frame. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think of something like The Breakfast Club, where you've got like you got this balance of like characters that weren't that different than what you experienced you know, at school in that, in that era, you know? Um, yeah. And again, there was, there was so many unrealistic things about it. Of course, it's just a movie, but, um, this sense of like, um, the, the thing, the commonality they all had was this sense of, uh, isolation. They had overworked boomer parents that, that didn't give them a lot of attention, just sort of let them be on their own and figure it out. Um, so they, they, again, they, they acquired this sort of independence and yet, they were still stuck with the personalities they had, which didn't all sort of like seamlessly fit together, but it did kind of, it did kind of allow them to become more resourceful. Yeah. Um, and so those are some of the characteristics of Gen X, you know, it, you know, uh, 
that isolation, which turned into independence, needing to figure things out on your own because you don't have a lot of mentors in your life. Um, you know, that kind of a thing. And so breakfast club is just so interesting because it just, it, it just kind of, it kind of brings that, that out. I, ironically enough, I didn't see that movie until way later. So I would have been, I would have been really, I would have been a little bit, I would have been like a preteen when that movie came out, which was all about whatever, 16 and 17 year olds. Um, so it was, it was a little past me, you know, but yet Mm -hmm. when you, when you watch it now, after having lived through some of those, some of those periods, you kind of go, it's kind of spot on in some ways, you know? It really is. I I think John Hughes really nailed a lot of things. So he did a lot of these kind of high school movies in the, in the mid to late eighties. And, you know, that movie in particular, I think really got the, the kind of feel and the vibe of public high school in the Midwest. And his movies were all set in like the Chicago area. And to your point about overworked boomer parents, they always had amazing houses. And I remember, (laughs) I remember watching the John Hughes movies and just sort of marveling at like the suburban Chicago house. Right, like Kevin McAllister's <laughs> dad's house. I'm like, what does Kevin's yes. dad do for? A yeah, living? they're all rich. They all they're yeah. all uber successful for some reason. Yeah, dude, they all live in like Wheaton or like Oak Park, and they all do really well. And they go into the city for jobs that are indiscriminate. And they kind of he didn't lean fully into the sort of you know Bill Murray burned out, disaffected. I'm a drone for a corporation kind of vibe yet. But those those dads just did really well financially, and uh, it was it was kind of an interesting deal. But um, pipe, what's your experience with the Breakfast Club? When did you see it, and what did you think about it? I have never seen it. It came out when really? I was like, so I was born in 1983. So I don't think I'm technically a Gen Xer. I think I'm technically a very okay. old millennial. So that movie came out, I yeah. think, when I was like two or three years old. And so by the okay. time I was of an age that it would have been for me, we had our own generation of teen-ish movies and they were like the yeah. they leaned heavily into dumb comedies. Like I was I was of the Adam Sandler Chris Farley generation much more than the yep. John Hughes generation. Yep. Yeah, and, and those And it wasn't I'm, one of those ones that they would show at so like Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Day Out. Yeah. I can never remember which one it is. It's Day Ferris off. Bueller. Yeah. Um, that one would get shown at like school events or whatever, ironically. But but yeah. the the uh the John Hughes stuff never really did. Dude, Ferris Bueller's dad had an iconic house too. Yep. Um and and Ferris's friend's dad also had an amazing was house. Cam, was that his name? Cam. Yeah, Cam. Cam's house was sweet, dude. Cam's was... house, yeah. His dad was uber successful. And it was also like, it was the celebration of suburbia. That's what Gen X is. Obviously, that's very narrow, right? But that's what you saw in those movies, which was yeah. Gen Xers have this suburban experience. And yes, they're right. they're starved for attention because their parents are successful boomers who have given them stuff more than they've but given no them attention. themselves. Yeah, yes. but hey. We got all this stuff, right? That yeah, we got all this right. stuff. We got the sweet house. I never see my dad. I don't know my dad. Uh, that wasn't my experience or yours, obviously. It, it wasn't but, actually, yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, the irony of it, right? But, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the irony of it. And and then there came another wave, Big R, of kind of 90s Gen X movies as like our generation grew up a little bit. You got Coming of age like, movies, yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah. and you got movies like Singles, right? Yeah. So the Cameron Crowe, Seattle thing. Everybody's in their their first apartment trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, Reality I wanna, Bites. Is same, yeah, Reality kind of Bites. Swingers. Yeah. I, I want to make... Yeah, Swingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was part of it, for sure. Amazing movie. Uh, part, part of our experience, Big R. But I, I want to make an oddly specific point and see if you guys agree with it vis-a-vis Gen X. So thinking of movies in that genre now, so like the first apartment type movies, so Reality Bites, Singles, Swingers even, um, and music videos from that era. Gen X loved like first apartment squalor and kind of romanticized it. You know what I mean? In that like you're watching that Fiona Apple video and she's laying on like a bare mattress on the floor. You know what I mean? It was kind of squalid and... You know, everybody was kind of romanticizing the struggle of trying to make it. Yeah. And this generation that's in college now does not do that. They have no interest in struggle or squalor (laughs) or romanticizing any of it. They want their first apartment to look like a pottery barn catalog, you know? And they're like, what are we, tweakers? We're not living in that dump. Yeah, exactly. But, But yet, Gen X had this real kind of romantic notion of, you know, gr- grinding it out in the city and, and like, you know, having to having to live in kind of squalor. But yet you're you had those close relationships with people around you. And that was sort of the dream. Well, it was kind of a, it was it was kind of a response, I think. You know, it was like it, you know, without putting too fine of a point on it. But I think I think we saw. I think we saw our boomer parents as just being the ultimate hypocrisy, right? Like they yeah. had, they had had these ideals that they had completely turned their back on for the sake of like success and, you know, financial stability. And, right. and so I think, I think, and then, and then because Gen X got to be able, because they did, you know, I'm, again, these are all generalities, right? Because Gen for X sure. didn't get the attention they deserved from their parents. They, they were put into sort of an observational mode. Where they could, they they just kind of sat back. They had the time to kind of look at what was going on. They also had some, you know, they also had a little bit of privilege, especially if their parents were successful, to have the time to kind of do that. And then sure. when it came time for them to um to kind of embark on life, I think they had like a deeper awareness of like, hey, we don't want to turn into them, and we have our own ideals too. And there's a way that we can sort of live out our ideals and not end up betraying them or becoming hypocrites because we denied them down the road. And so, yeah, movies like Reality Bites and Singles, it was like, hey, you know what? Like, we can live the life that we want to live. And by the way, the problem with our parents is that the passions and the dreams they had, they ditched those. And we don't we're not going to ditch those. We are going to like live out our passions. Our jobs are going to be our dream jobs. And it doesn't matter if we're living on like a pallet, you know, on yeah. the third floor in some like, you know, rented apartment building in downtown Chicago with eight yeah. of our friends. If that's what we want to do, that's what success is. I want to suggest that that idea was absolute crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to I want to also suggest and Pipe, I want to hear you on this. I I think that we have absolutely turned into our boomer sellout successful parents i mean not even a question not even a question (laughs) literally everyone i know lives in a nice house in the suburbs that's that's just called that's just called adulthood so it is and and yet like the 22 year old version of myself would have been so at odds with like the life that i'm living now 
Um, and yet I, I basically like the life that I'm living now. Um, and it, it, it begs the question, what changed? Pipe, what ideas do you have about any of that? Well, I going back to the whole loving squalor thing. I need to figure out generationally where two shows that were seminal in the in the sort of presenting a generation vibe mm-hmm. uh, where those fit. One is Seinfeld, the other is Friends, because they both. So Seinfeld, mm-hmm. yeah, launched like what real early nineties. So that would have been like Gen X teen years, um, yeah. college years. And then, and then Friends was a couple years later, but they basically owned the 90s, especially the second half of the 90s, when Gen X was yeah. becoming adults. Those, those absolutely did not glorify squalor. They, they had that whole right. sort of uh, where th- these people are all very clearly well off because otherwise, how do, they, how do they have 1,800 square feet in Manhattan? They finance their, but, uh, their lifestyles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're clean cut. They're, they're pulled together at least outwardly, and then it's all, you know, hijinks ensue because they make dumb decisions. Where do those yeah. fit generationally? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. You can go back to Breakfast Club to figure this out. So Friends friends is, is what Molly Ringwald turned into, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the, the squalor types, right? The, 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 the other types, you know, that, you know, what, what's the guy's name? What's, I forget his name in real Bender. life. Yeah, Bender V. Bender, um, Bender is what you see in Singles and Reality Bites, right? Which yeah. is, I mean, they they all, you know, 20 years after both those shows, you know, both of those people end up turning out the same. But yeah. in their formative years, when they're 20 years old or when they're 21 years old, um, right. it just, depending on, depending on who you were back in your, in your early, mid-80s, teen years, it really sort of dictated, um, you know, you know, Gen X had different kinds of values too. So it wasn't something that was just completely fluid all the way throughout. You could be a Gen X and, re- you know, so the, so, uh, you know, the Bender rejected Molly Ringwald and her sort of like Sochi lifestyle and all of that. But you still see that playing out in the early 90s, you know, with like Reality Bites versus a show like Friends. So yeah. again, it was just, it was different. It was different kinds of worldviews and values, even within Gen X. There was like a, there was like a diversity there, right, T? Yeah, I think there was. So, like, in his early 20s, Bender is, like, silk screening T-shirts for a living and trying to make a band. Yeah, working and at a Molly record Ringwald, store, right? Yeah. Yeah, Molly Ringwald just went ahead and became a drug rep. You know what I mean? Um, and the Emilio Estevez character is, like, a, I don't know, a high school football coach or whatever. So, uh, to your point, though, and it's a good point, Big R, like, 20 years down the road, they're all back in suburbia. They've all arrived at the same place, but, like the way of getting there is just a little bit different for each of them. <laughs> um, boys or actually, no, I want to say, I want to say one more thing on the, on the friend Seinfeld thing, Piper, my feeling even back then was that those two shows were basically about college without the classes. Um, they were a bunch of youngish people who lived together and just hung out and talked about themselves, um, which is basically <laughs> college. But in college, you have to go to class in between. So, like, Friends and Seinfeld took away the classes. Like, nobody did anything on Seinfeld. You never saw them, like, going to their jobs except for, like, George and Elaine for a couple minutes. Um, but but then they would go to that coffee shop and just talk about themselves. Yeah, and yeah job, jobs were a plot device, not the bulk of their life. 100%. That's right. Yeah, yeah and for, for us, for any, like... 
you know, now middle-aged, Gen X, moderately successful person, the job is the bulk of your life. And then the thing that you do on the side to make money is the rest of your life. Um, and then, yeah, trying to have a church life and, you know, get to know your kids a little bit. That's, that's like the rest of it. But, um, yeah, the shows were, they were very unrealistic, not only from a financial standpoint, but from a time standpoint. Uh, boys, let's take a break. And then I want to come back and talk about some iconic Gen X people. We'll be right back. All right, boys. Uh, I was having this conversation with a couple of students. Um, when you think of Gen X icons, who do you think of, and who do you think of that's still alive? Um, we were we were talking about, and I don't like this person's music. I find his music very boring. But we were talking about how Dave Grohl has become sort of the Gen X rock star like dad figure. Um, Dave, Dave Grohl stands in for like whatever values you embody. You can superimpose those values over Dave Grohl. He's sort of like the cool dad of the girl you're trying to date. Like you, you go over to pick her up and Dave Grohl answers the door and you're like, Oh, you're, you're super cool. We could just hang out here. You know, like we don't have to go out anymore. Um, so I think as far as people who are still alive, who are Gen X icons, I, I had Dave Grohl, um, pipe. Who do you have for this one? Oh man, uh, I feel like Rob Lowe is <laughs> is in there as well, and I realize that's really that's, gonna, that's gonna that's make really so many Gen Xers cringe. But in terms of living icons, uh, I feel like he he has to be up there. It in a similar way to Dave Grohl in that he has he's morphed into yeah. a bunch of different things <laughs> without aging at any point. I don't totally know how he's pulled that off. Um, he, yeah. he and Paul Rudd apparently are on the same sell their soul to the devil, uh, vitamin regimen to, to stay young. But yeah, I, I would, I would pick, uh, Rob Lowe, I think. That's a great one, dude. Big R, who you got for this? Gosh, I don't know, man. You guys know how bad I am at this. Um, I'm trying to think of, my mind immediately went to some actors kind of like mm -hmm. pipe. Um, yeah, just trying to think of. Trying to really, Grohl is a great one, actually. I mean, he embodies, um, yeah, he embodies so many different things, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And he, um, you know, kind of how he, I mean, you know, he came out of, you know, one of the most iconic Gen X, maybe the iconic Gen X, you know, band of all time because of how it all went down for him. And then, um, but he's, he's the survivor. So yeah. to be honest, um, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain wasn't very Gen X-y at all because he ended up not being very resourceful. What a horrible thing to say, right? But um, yeah. he, uh, but Grohl is a survivor, yeah. and um, and he just he just kind of kept maintaining and maintaining and never give up. And before he knows it, he's just the most successful rock star in the world. Yeah. And um, and yet, um, it has it has nothing to do with his music. He's just a personality. I mean, Dave Grohl <laughs> yeah. is essentially a more palatable Kardashian. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter if he makes records. It doesn't matter what he does. People love him. They want to yeah. be around him. They they want to be around him because they actually like him, though, because he has a magnetic personality. Sure. And um, and he is I, the reason why I'm going off on that. Number one is because I can't think of anybody else. And number two, yeah. I think. I think he embodies like what Gen Xers would have dreamed of being on that side of the Gen X scale, right? On the Bender yeah. side, that would yeah. have been his dream to someday turn into Dave Grohl. Dude, totally. That's high ceiling Bender right there. 100%. Is, you're a little bit of a rebel. You're a little bit of a, 
a bad boy in high school, but then you, you end up being Dave Grohl. You're like a billionaire and everyone likes you. Um, absolutely. I've got a Kurt Cobain question, and then I got a couple more Gen X icons to run by you guys. Uh, here's my Cobain question, and we can get both of you on it. Um, if he had lived, what would his arc have been? Because Kurt Cobain, and, and he was one of the few people who took this position who I really believed. I, I truly believe Kurt Cobain was at odds with fame. And yet he was one of the most famous people in the 90s. Um, you know, really good looking, really charismatic, really good at his job. Um, he was a great rock star. But what would his arc have been? I don't think he would have turned into like kind of palatable elder statesman like Dave Grohl. Um, he wouldn't have turned into like warm and fuzzy good hang like Dave Grohl. What would his what would his arc have been? Do you guys have thoughts on that? Oh it's man, hard to think. I think um, yeah. Go ahead, Pipe. I was gonna say it's hard to think of anybody who is that sort of ideologically intense who ages well. Mm -hmm. They yeah. they either yeah. become the sellout that they hate, which yeah. then becomes more palatable, or or they fade into obscurity, or they have a tragic end. I mean, there's no you, you can't be ideologically opposed to what you are and age well. Mm -hmm. I don't think that is true. I'm trying to think of anybody yeah, in a, any that's, other that's field who's done it well, like actors who well, absolutely yeah. abhor fame end up like. They just get chased around by the paparazzi until they punch somebody and go to jail or whatever. Like there's it or, or they, right. they collapse in on themselves. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think Cobain would have grown his fame and because of his influence, he could, he would have done it in a way that made sense for him. So I look at, I look at Cobain as becoming the Gen X Neil Young at this, yeah. at this juncture in his life, kind of a thing That's where, a good one. where he is yeah. just, He's still singing about things that he's upset about that have mm -hmm. not gone well in his life. Or he's he's kind of become elder statesman of, you know, kind of being able to look, you know, kind of like judging the culture and, yeah. you know, being the obser the cultural observationist mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, releasing Kurt Cobain records because Nirvana probably would have been done years and years ago. And yeah. then... um you know, and then just kind of, kind of becoming like one of the most respected, like elder, elder statesmen of rock and roll, like that the world has ever known. I think, the, I think the more fascinating thing about that is that I don't think you have a Dave Grohl at this point. Had Kurt no, Cobain. you're right. If if Cobain yeah. lives, you there's don't no have Foo a... Fighters. Yeah, I don't believe in. Yeah, that. yeah. No, you're you're so right, dude. You don't have a Dave Grohl. He never gets to like flourish as Dave Grohl thing. just becomes a drummer for another band. You know, yeah. and that's that's what he or he fades into obscurity. No, I really I really like the Neil Young arc for Cobain. I had another arc for him that's similar, but a little bit different. Yeah, I think in a, in another scenario, he takes the like old hipster title strap from Tom Waits. Like, he oh, shows yeah, up yeah, in yeah, a, yeah. He shows up <laughs> in a Jim Jarmusch picture every three years, like smoking a cigarette. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's Kurt Cobain. Um, and he 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 you know, plays a show once every five years or whatever. And, uh, he kind he kind of takes that old hipster strap from Tom Waits, but yeah, um, he didn't like he'd Tom be like, Waits, but he's way more successful. He would have been hard for him to yeah. do that. But. Yeah. He'd yeah, be more true. like, yeah, he'd be more like grunge rocker, Willie Nelson. Oh yeah. And that's Neil Young, AKA Neil Young, you know, it's yeah, yeah. no, that's good. 
Yeah, those are all really good. Well, one, I've one got other, another gen- one other thought on Cobain. Oh, I think if he was like the best thing for him, obviously, had he lived, would have been to get into the in terms of sort of musically and, and managing things, get into the circle of somebody like Rick Rubin, who is just the most yeah. zen, appreciates where anybody's coming from, and has worked with everybody from like hip hop artists to Johnny Cash to who like Nine Inch Nails to whoever, and uh, and. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and would be able to sort of level him out and be like, let's channel your 100%. energy. That kind of, that kind yeah. of thing would have worked well for him. He missed that. You know, that's Pipe. That's an, a re, that's a really insightful point. Uh, Cobain needed a mentor. He needed, he was an isolationist and he, if somebody could have like stepped like a Ruben could have said, Hey buddy, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to be your friend. Um, you don't have to give up your music, your art. You can get out of the public eye. You know, like let me help you work some of these things out. But don't give up. Let's get you some medical help, dude. You needed some legit medical help. And um, I, I think, yeah, I, there was a, there was a future for Cobain. But man, I, you know, everything that had happened in his life up to that point made it really hard for him not to end up where he ended up. You know, it's one of those. It's sad, you know. But yeah, absolutely. Well, I think not having a mentor though was kind of a a, a young Gen X core value. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, for being, sure, 100%. Being an isolationist was sort of part of the, the sex appeal of, of Gen X. Well, know? and then like, you don't write Smells Like Teen Spirit if you're not an isolationist, you know, so it's, it's yeah, exactly. par for the so, course. Yeah those, you know? yeah, those two things are fundamentally at odds with each other. 100%, and yeah. And that's what kind of gets interesting when you think about anybody who makes art, right? So, like, if they have a mentor, the art fundamentally changes but maybe they end up being a healthier person or a more satisfied person or even just a less lonely person. But maybe we don't get necessarily the, the art that they were capable of. Um, I had another Gen X icon. I want to run this person by you guys. Ethan Hawke. Mm. Like when I think about the four or five most iconic Gen X things, like the Richard Linklater before sunrise movies, uh, the movie reality bites where he plays like the, the the kind of greasy you know 90s hair stoner philosopher troy dyer character um that like troy is the most gen thought, x name ever by the way oh troy is a great gen <laughs> x name it's fantastic <laughs> but, but like ethan hawk playing those characters at that time like my wife thought that type of person was so hot back then that's so but funny. nobody Nobody thinks that type of person is hot now, you know, um, like kind of stoner philosopher as a, as a persona to have in college is completely over. And even back then, like the moment you walk across the stage and collect your diploma, you become 33% less hot. You know, it's a, it's a persona that only worked like in college in the nineties, but Ethan Hawke was sort of (laughs) emblematic of that kind of guy. What do you guys think? No, man, that's really funny. I love, yeah, Ethan Hawke was, uh, the problem with Ethan Hawke was he, this is what was great and and not great about him. Ethan Hawke embodied a type from Mm -hmm. that era, but he was Mm -hmm. a type that in real life I couldn't stand. So all all the Ethan Hawkes of my life were never my friends. I just wanted those guys to go away because he wasn't, like, he wasn't the, here's the thing, like, he wasn't a, he was an intellectual bully what he was oh totally and uh and i just that type just drove me up the wall and um 
And like he thought he was smarter than he really was. He thought he was smarter, but every time he opened his mouth, he was he sounded dumb. Um, yeah. But but he but what he said kind of proved that he was he, the aim, the goal was to like was to was to be a thinker, right? And yeah. um, but but he so when I watch Ethan Hawke, I go, oh man, he nailed it. He's a great actor, all of that yeah. stuff. But he reminded me of all the people I couldn't stand in my high school years. So was, I have yeah. a I have a funny relationship with Ethan because I actually like him, but I actually yeah. can't stand him at the same time. You know? Yeah, that's really good. Um, Pipe, what was your experience? You were at Wheaton, let's say early two thousands, yeah. right? Yeah. Was like hot stoner philosophy guy like still a persona that was working then, or was that over? Um, or is he even allowed had, at Eaton? At Wheaton? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been it would have been like faux stoner. It would have been people who like snuck clove cigarettes behind the dorm when people weren't looking, like that that totally that version. Um, those of you who did that, you know who you are. Um, it germs, uh, baby. Got a shout out germs. Yeah, it it had. I would say it had more of a it had more of like a beat poet thing at Wheaton, where because because there's such there's such class tiers there. There's I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, there's the Patagonia vest crowd. There's the like crunchy granola <laughs> ultimate yep. frisbee crowd. There's the uh, and then there was like yeah, then there was the the philosopher types, and then there was a few of us who were like, I just want to play pickup basketball and maybe go to class if somebody makes me. Um, and uh, <laughs> So it. it it kind of worked, but it was all very it had a it had a very high school vibe there where there's you know there's like yeah. the groups of people that and they don't sense, really yeah. mix that much. Yeah, no. Yeah, and a Christian university would have way more of a high school vibe in general because there were restrictions and things you can and can't do, kind yeah. of a thing. Well, and, yeah. and everybody was the they sort of the king of the castle when they came in. Like they were, all of us were among the top in our high schools. Like that's just the nature of a sort of academically, you know, elite school. And so mm-hmm. it it has to fall into classes because because everything's competitive. Yeah. 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 Well, and and to your earlier point, Big R, about Ethan Hawke, I think I do think faux depth was a was a core value of the nineties. Um and a core value of Gen X was like appearing to be a thinker, wanting people to think you're deep. Um, which again, nobody's hung up on that anymore. You know, (laughs) like Yeah. Um and and it's Oh, I don't know. There there are still it hadn't it just isn't that just what influencers do now motivational people you know the people who are yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, get out true. there rise and grind isn't that just faux depth because if you think about what they say what they're really saying is your motivation should be get motivated and then they just spin it into a thousand <laughs> different tiktok videos like it's it's all the same stuff just yeah. new brand that seems fundamentally vapid to me though and maybe it's my gen xness that's like reading that experience as vapid um but maybe maybe to them it's it's depth or faux depth or whatever. And and it's, here's what I think it is pipe. And you help me with this. Like, I think in the same way that faux depth helped Gen Xers sort of reckon with their meaningless lives. I think in the same way, these influencers are trying to imbue fundamentally meaningless lives with meaning. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's spot on. I think that that's exactly yeah. I mean the, the idea of like you have a job you hate, but go out there and and you know kill Crush it. it. Yeah, every yeah again <laughs> yeah. back back yeah. to the the violent imagery for what we do to our jobs, and uh, right it 
Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. But it, yeah, so instead of like sitting around reclining on a on a ratty floral couch pontificating, you know, you're up doing burpees at at four forty five a.m. so that you can be the next, you know, the next entrepreneurial whiz kid. Yeah, gosh, that's fascinating. And they both sound um, horrific to me, by the way. I don't want to be in either <laughs> of those circumstances. You're too old. You're too old to want to be in those circumstances, Pipe. I mean, you've hit the... Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they do sound horrific. Um, yeah, because they're, they're not very comfortable, guys. And as you get <laughs> older, true. as you get older, you just want to wear sweats. You know, you want to yeah. be a little... You, you, yeah, you want to be the sweats-wearing version of uh, Deep, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you you do. You want to wear sweats. You want to sit on a nice couch. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. And even the even the like horsepower that it takes to 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 sound deep and be deep. Um, I don't know. Like, I just thinking about that makes me tired. But um, yeah, I mean, dude, I, Co- Cobain would be wearing sweats right now. Let's just keep that in mind. He'd be sitting in his mansion wearing sweats a lot right now. You know, and, and good for him. I would want that for him. You know, Fran- would, Francis Bean's going to have his grandkids. Dude, that's remember where he'd be right now. You know, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted Cobain to remain miserable forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if he was still walking around in like, you know, dirty T-shirts with a torn neck, you know, at age, you know, 48 or whatever well, he would be right now. Miser- miserableism is miserable. Miserableism is really unattractive for like anybody over like 30 years old at the end of the day. You know, yeah, I but mean, why was it, why was it so attractive for like us in our twenties in the nineties? It's so strange that like being miserable and angsty <coughs> was fashionable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Cause it makes it's no sense. It's so, it's sold. Yeah. It just, it's, yeah, it was, yeah, I guess uh, it did. It was well because it was a way because it was uh it was our it was our generation's brand of authenticity, right? So it's like mm-hmm. we're not afraid to complain about the things that our parents have been propping up as as God. And yeah. and we're saying, no, that actually sucks. You guys yeah. are actually bankrupt. You're wrong about that. But the thing that we're gonna hold up in place of it is just as bankrupt. But it's new sure. and we're and it's yeah. selling right now and, and it's ours, you know, I'm a I'm time. a loser baby. Why don't you kill me? You know, it's just yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, it's yeah. that whole thing, right? It's like what's the difference? It's this it's the same thing, just a different it's it's a different it's the it's the same wall with different wallpaper, you know. Yeah, it's, so so yeah. self indulgence of a different variety. Hundred percent. Yeah. And I guess today the the stand in is I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Um, so instead of leading with I'm anti whatever my parents' generation stood for, you know the 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 sort of uh, vulnerability or the approachability comes via these are my mental health issues. Yeah, is ang- like anxiety is the new cynicism. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's uncomfortably right. that's uncomfortably real. I'm very I'm very uncomfortable with how much you just hit the nail on the head. I'm very uncomfortable with what I just said, Pipe. Don't worry. I'm with you. Don't it's, worry about it. No, it's it's so spot on true. I mean, we it's mm-hmm. t- this is going to sound like a digression, but it's 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 very much on point. So, we uh a couple of people from our church staff just went to a big meeting where there was a bunch of research laid out by the Barna group, uh you know, this church mm-hmm. research group, looking at sort of yeah. the the health of the city, the state of the city and they do it per, you know, per region. So, they did one for Nashville. And and Nashville is something like fifteen percent more anxious than the average American city, which makes total sense because it's really? a performative city and it's a young city. And so yeah. you, you put those two things together, and and it just and I'm like, yeah, it is absolutely our generation's disaffected cynicism 
is to be yeah. is to be anxious is to be uh and and it, like and it's just it's the water in which you know younger millennials gen z swim so it's not even a it's not a posing thing it's just mm. the air that is breathed and so i don't until you sort of help them see no this this isn't actually normal it's not necessary it's it's 100% true and uh, i had never thought about that generational sort of parallel and it's uh it's, it's well, very striking <laughs> it's not a posing thing but it is sort of a requirement to wear the uniform like you you kind of have to lead with a little bit of anxiety um because if you walk into a room and you're really self assured yeah there it is that doesn't play well you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, anxiety, not, anxiety yeah. gets you. Pl- anxiety, like it, it, it gets you places. It opens accept- some doors. It's acceptance, yeah, right, in that yeah. sense, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like a credit card. It's accepted everywhere. Well, it you is. Know. It is a more vulnerable form of cynicism, is what it is. I got a hot take. I miss cynicism. <laughs> well, they, they, here's I, the thing. I don't. I don't think you ever left it behind, Ted. I, I don't think you can miss a thing that you. I don't think you can miss a thing that you just have. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But it, it, I do think it got boring, you know. And I, th- I think by the so end of the boring. '90s, it got so boring. Well, it was, in it the was same marketed. way that it was marketed. Yeah. Well, and in the same way that anxiety is getting boring, you know. I mean, we're we're about five to eight years into the everybody's anxious thing, and and it's it's about to be over I mean, the thing is like there was you know the thing there, there was a lot of people doing this but you always look at the people that rose to the top right in a commercial way and cobain did and so yeah. i mean there was plenty of like cynical quote-unquote like music and art being made and he he just hit something we it's way too long to get into all that but he hit on something and then you see sort of like the stream that followed nirvana i'm just talking about music too but like the stream that kind of followed nirvana and like by the you know, four years later, by the time you get to like Green Day, you know, you're just like going, oh, so cynicism is just that's what we do now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, however authentic it is. And I'm not saying Billy Joe Armstrong wasn't authentic. I actually think he was. But it was like, oh, but this is still working for you, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's yeah. selling. It's it's a good it's good to be cynical is the point. Right. Dude, it's what artist, what artist represented the end of that? Like, what was the end of cynicism? Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some of the changes. Some of the changes in the '90s. Um, I think it's. I think it was when we had the return of a lot of the um, the boy band stuff by the uh, end of the '90s. Was probably like, hey, we just want we just want to feel good again. We just want yeah. things don't have to be deep. Things don't have yeah. to be. I, I remember reading about that shift too. I remember it's so funny yeah. you say that to you because I remember when they were writing articles about that, like, hey. Everything doesn't have to like double down into, you know, the state of the world, and how horrible everything right. is. We can just we can just enjoy the moment, celebrate life a little bit. And that yeah. I, it was like it was kind of, you know, late 90s is what I feel like there was a shift there. But I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, vague, no, that's a No, that's good. I actually I have a bridge between that and cynicism. And it was 90s Bono because Bono oh, was the dude, one dude, don't who kind of never swam in the cynical waters he was always kind of earnest and so he may have he may have like dragged our generation out of cynicism and then and then the boy bands just finished the job but um yeah no fascinating stuff um anybody else on gen x icons for either of you 
Take it, pipe. Man, I'm just trying to think of. I mean, there's to me, Gen X is. I mean, it's music and film, which is what we've talked about largely. Like, if you try to think about Gen X entrepreneurs, you know, it. Yeah. It kind of flies in the face of the whole ethos. There's this. Uh, right. You know, they're just sort of like, eh. You know, they 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 didn't have mm-hmm. the they didn't have the angst and the cynicism because they were trying to build something as opposed to trying to oppose something or be disaffected. So I mean, I'm sure that yeah. that there were a ton of really successful entrepreneurial business people, especially in the tech world. You know, like, uh, yeah. But that gets associated with millennials. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I guess like Mark Cuban. You know, like yeah. would be one, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a short list. And it's he and he see, I mean, and I guess there's I guess there's an opposition there because maybe in the finance world, you know, people who people who who, who did different things in the market and weren't just sort of the white collar schlubs of the of their parents generation. But none of that sounds yeah. Gen X that all sound like Gen X as a brand is is faux deep, is cynical, is grungy, is whatever. And it's all on the more creative yeah. side, not on the like productive member of society side. Yeah. Honestly, the rappers of that era did it the best. Like if you look oh, if yeah. you look at the pantheon of like musicians who became massive successful brands and business people without really selling out whatever it was that made them special to begin with. I mean, like Dr. Dre is at the top of that list, right? Yes. Um, you know, still massive amounts of respect in the industry, but like started a bunch of um, kind of different companies and projects and made billions of dollars, but well, and, retained this sort of artistic and bridge and, and hip hop bridged the gap from generations because that was, that was like, that stuff got big in the early nineties, which is kind of pre millennial, uh, millennials being the primary market. So, you know, uh, Tupac, Biggie, all, all of the, all of like right. the, the heyday of hip hop was, was when I was sort of yeah. middle school, high school, like becoming, becoming in a, you know, a buyer. So that means yeah. Gen X was the market and, uh, and yeah. it worked. And so, and those guys were way like they, they carried on the legacy of Kurt Cob- Cobain, sort of anti-protest, cynical storytelling, way more than any yep. rockers did. You know, Gre- Ronnie brought up Green Day. They they felt yeah. very droney after a while. It's like, oh, you're whining again. Um, I was completely bored with Green Day. Yeah, um, like from day there one. Was, there were so many bands like that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas hip-hop felt um, very different. It felt it felt much more, it, uh, I don't know, raw and authentic. What, okay, so here, here's, yeah. a, here's another Gen X icon for you. Mm-hmm. Totally shifting gears. Yeah. Mark Driscoll. Okay. Yeah. Um you're you're right. He he had the the kind of look and feel of a Gen X icon, uh traded on cynicism, traded on being anti traded on being uh, in Seattle, which is like home of grunge. <laughs> right. Home of Gen X. Yeah, yeah, Gen X epicenter. And and everyone liked it until they realized they didn't like it. You know, which is sort of well, like, un- and until and and this is a little bit like what we talked about. What I what I said with Cobain. If you have somebody who's that ideologically angsty and opposed, they don't age well unless they change, and uh, unless they change. And yeah. he he became both a 
a kind of sellout to power, but also remained ideologically opposed, which just made him, uh, you know, ministerially tyrannical. And yeah, and, but but I mean, like in, in terms of the generation expression, it's like if you think back on on the 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 the, the church during that era. The mm-hmm. successful churches were all very boomery. You know, it was it was yeah, the Rick Warren, right. the Rick Warren branded kind Bill of thing. Bill Hybels. Yeah, yeah, Willow Creek, yeah. that kind of stuff. North mm-hmm. Point with Andy Stanley, although I think Stanley might technically be yep. Gen X. Um, but I mean, it, it was it was that model. And then you have this counterculture kind of church. And and yeah. uh, and and Driscoll was just the most prominent example of it. So. I would put him up there as a yeah. like Gen X church icon, which you know doesn't say much for uh, that <laughs> that particular season of 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 evangelicalism for for icons. Dude, but. it's so true, and 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 you know even the the flip side of that is all the emergent church guys who kind of are all Gen Xers who all kind of burned out and sort of crumbled under the weight of their own you know uh, anti ideologies. Um, that didn't go well, but you, you made a fascinating point near the top of the show, like trying to think about examples of people who were really ideological intense, ideologically intense, but who turned out okay. And it's all people who were really walking closely with the Lord. Like that's the only category of that working out. Okay. So like somebody like your dad, who's not Gen X, but you know, super, super intense dude ideologically um if your dad had been the same type of person but his ideologies had been uh i don't know uh, liberal politics and he didn't know the lord he would have turned into a horrible person you know well, yeah, or he, conservative he, politics and he, didn't he know probably lord, would have you know? been like a a small liberal arts school professor who who yeah. was dearly beloved and deeply hated by the student body, depending on which portion of the student body you were talking about. That that's sort of the yeah. that's the direction for somebody with the level of kind of intensity that he has and the level of of um, yeah. kind of uh, intellectual rigor. Horsepower. Yeah. And that character would have been so bitter and so mad at the world by the time they're playing a a, a liberal arts professor at like Bard college in a Noah Baumbach movie, you know, um, you know, they're drinking two and a half bottles of wine to fall asleep at night and that they're, they're just a certain kind of character. But yeah, as far, as far as that kind of ideological intensity going, well, it's, it's all people who have really had their hearts changed by the Lord. And you know, that's, it's probably a good note to end on, right? Like for all the kind of posturing that Gen X brought to the table, um, at the end of the day, any of this working only works, you know, if, if our hearts are truly regenerate and different, um, anything else you want to add pipe? This is a fun one. Yeah, it was, I, it, it, this one had a little more life to it than some of the others, because it's obviously the, uh, it, you know, you and Ronnie sit squarely in Gen X and I'm, I'm adjacent <laughs> enough to, to, you know, have a foot in that world. Whereas like talking about yeah. Gen Z, it's very much more like we're the old people observing and find, trying to weigh yeah. the good and the bad. And then millennials are this, are the kind of the in-between and I'm, I'm sort of one of them too. But yeah, I, I think what, what always strikes me when we talk generations is just, it is so easy to be negative. Mm-hmm. There's always the sort of throw in like, yeah, but they're not going to ruin the world because nobody has kind of thing, you know, like with Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. 
Gen Z is going to be fine, and they're going to be us in 30 years. Like, 30 years from yeah. now, they are going to be owning suburban homes, and they're going to be, yeah. you, you know, for better or worse, comfortable adults. And uh, yeah. and, and that's always the arc of things, and we just we hyper-focus in on the... I mean, I think Gen X got this the worst, and that's part of the cynicism, is that after the boomers, they were, they were so reactive that it was a little bit like people <laughs> yeah. responding to hippies. Like these people are insane and, and millennials have gotten some of that, but also millennials have always just been like, we don't care what you think. And we're going to go make money. And Gen X was like, no, we're going to fight you. (laughs) And and so there was a lot more angst. Yeah. Millennials don't like engender a strong response in anybody. Like the, the the most you're moving the needle as a millennial is just like mild annoyance. You you you, know, not, not anymore, but you have to remember 10, 12 years ago, millennials were going to ruin the workplace. They're not motivated. They're only oh, looking yeah, out for themselves. They switch jobs every 18 months. You know, the, I, yeah. I remember when I worked at Moody Publishers, millennials were, was like a byword. <laughs> and, and so yeah. then, then we started a publishing line that was aimed at millennials. Or not, not a publishing line, but sort of a, a, an acquisitions team getting books aimed at. And, and there was, it was a profound generational gap because the average age of employee there was like yeah. 50. And millennials at that yeah. point were like, 25 20 so I mean, you're talking a full Dude, 50 generation is generous gap. yeah because i was uh, publishing with moody back then and it was an old it was an old roster right uh editorially let's just say that and and so that um, what what we have lost like i would love to go recall the millennials are ruining the marketplace and and bring those things to light now and review our current situation in light of that and i'm sure that there was plenty of yeah. accurate criticisms and i'm also sure that mm-hmm. we have not ruined the world we're doing okay generally like we're growing up we're raising kids we're we're making the same mistakes our parent did in some ways and, and different ones in other ways but yeah I, gen x was the gen x was the whipping boy i remember being a kid and kids don't pay attention to anything but i remember hearing about this thing called gen x and basically thinking yeah. they sound kind of cool and also kind of scary because they're ruining everything and this is me as like an eight-year-old yeah, yeah, and and there was all this like stark imagery of like I don't know, Eddie Vedder going on like the Walter Cronkite show to get interviewed by this like old man in a suit. And Eddie Vedder's wearing like a uh I don't know, like a torn up like mud honey t shirt. And you know, the the imagery of that couldn't be it couldn't be any more stark, you know, and like you don't have dynamics like that anymore. Um but yeah, you're right. I, I remember I remember that being a thing too, where, you know, Gen, Gen Xers are going to ruin everything and then millennials are going to ruin everything. And, and yeah, I'm sure, I'm, I guess we'll be saying it about Gen Z, you know, soon, but, uh, I don't now know. we can't this say was, anything negative fun. about Gen Z. They, uh, that's not allowed. Yeah. I certainly can't in the college business. I mean, <laughs> they're, the, they're the best. <laughs> they're all the best. They're wonderful. Um, just ask them. Pipe, we, uh, we've done what we always do on this program in that we've wandered to and fro throughout Gen X. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.
In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.